Have you seen it? The green-eyed monster? Man, if you see it, you need to stay away from it. Because if you get too close to it and you, and you breathe in its toxins, it will destroy you. That's why I've got on this hazmat suit. Because I know what the green-eyed monster can do to you. Now, what is the green-eyed monster? Well, the green-eyed monster is envy. Envy has long been associated with the color green. And it's easy for us to, to see that envy is a, is a monster. But understand, when we talk about envy being a monster, it's not a monster that destroys us from the outside. It's a monster that destroys us from within. Now, now here's how the dictionary defines envy. It says that envy is that unhappy feeling that you have when you want very much to do something that someone else does, have something that someone else has, or be something that someone else is. Now, another definition of envy says this. It is a feeling of discontent or resentment aroused by and in conjunction with the desire for the possessions or the qualities of another. Now, our English word for envy comes from a Latin word which literally means to cast an evil eye. And so envy is a sin that begins in the eyes. A gorgeous woman walks into the room and the other women in the room eye her with envy. You pull up into the parking lot in your old car that has a gazillion miles on it. And right beside you pulls in this brand new car. And you eye it with envy. Your friend invites you to their house to watch the ball game. And when you get there, they have a brand new 70-inch LED HD TV. They have surround sound that is so realistic, you feel like you are at the ball game. And as you look at their TV and you listen to their surround sound, you eye them with envy. Someone's phone rings and they pull out their phone and it's the latest and the greatest iPhone. The one that people wait in line for days to get. And when you look at that phone and they turn it around to make sure that you see it, you eye it with envy. And then there's house envy. Now, some of you may say, well, I just want a house. But that's now. Just wait. You want more. You want a bigger house. You will want a newer house. You will want a house with more gadgets. This past summer, Sherry and I were in Dallas at a meeting and we went to a barbecue at, at a, 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 an acquaintance of hers, of Sherry's. And, and as we went into their house in this exclusive neighborhood, we were taking a tour of their home and they had heated marble floors in the bathroom. And I eyed it with envy. 
I visited someone's house, and in their home, they had their own sauna. You could get in there with your towel or without the towel. It's your house if you want to. Pour the water on the, the you know, little heater thing and the steam comes up. And, and I got to tell you, when I saw it, I eyed it with envy. You get a boat and you like your boat until you take it to the lake and you see everybody else's boat. And then you eye their boats with envy. There's even relationship envy. Married people get envious. One woman sees another woman's husband and, and he's got a good job and he's the spiritual leader of the home and he keeps himself physically fit and he helps out around the house and she looks at her husband sitting in the recliner with the remote in his hand He's got that beer belly going on. He's got a bag of Doritos sitting on the beer belly. And he has got orange fingertips and orange crumbs in his beard. And women eye that man with envy. I got to tell you, I struggle with envy. See this guy up here? Whenever he sings, I get song envy. See this guy? When we're at the office, and he doesn't do this on Sundays, but during the week, he'll wear these, he'll wear these cut-off shirts with no sleeves. Just to show off his biceps. And I get strength envy. And then see this guy? You may not be able to tell from down there, but my hair is getting thinner and I look at this guy and I look at his hair and, well, look, I get hair envy. I mean, we all struggle with envy. And envy can show up anywhere. Your classmate makes the team and, and you don't. Your colleague gets the promotion that you want. Your neighbor is able to buy the bigger house and you can't. Your friend drives a nicer car that you can't afford. And, and even as pastors... We go to a conference and we visit a church that is a bigger church with more people and, and we get pastoral envy. And when I open up my Bible, I discover that envy isn't anything new. It's, it's not just something we struggle with in the 21st century or the 20th century. It's something that they have struggled with since the beginning of the time. In Isaiah chapter 14, if you read that chapter... You will discover that Lucifer, as he was known before the fall, he, we know him as Satan, the devil. Lucifer envied the throne of God. And because he envied the throne of God, he rebelled against God. Envy caused sin. We read the, the fourth chapter of the Bible and we see that Cain envied his brother Abel because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and, and Cain's wasn't. And and the first murder took place because of envy. We go later on in the book of Genesis and we read that Joseph's brothers envied him. To the point that they sold him into slavery. And he stayed there for a number of years. All because of envy. Did you know that Saul, King Saul, envied David? 
It, it didn't happen until they came back from battle. And, and as they were marching in, the ladies began to shout, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul got envious and began to plot to kill David. If you read through the New Testament, you discover that it was envy that caused the Jews to hand Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. It says in Matthew 27, verse 18, that they envied him. But I want you to understand, envy unchecked is more than just wanting something that someone else has. Envy begins to say, I want what you have But not only do I want what you have, I don't want you to have what you have. It says, I want it, and I don't want you to have it. Envy is not only saying, I want my grass to be greener. Envy is saying, I want your grass to turn brown. That's what envy does. Envy not only wants more, it wants others to have less. Thomas Aquinas said this. He defined envy as sorrow for another's good. It is the opposite of pity, and it's one of the defining sins of our times. There's an old Russian joke that tells about a poor peasant whose better-off neighbor had just gotten a cow, and and in anguish, the peasant cried out to God, and, and God replied, what do you want me to do? And the old Russian peasant said, I want you to kill the cow. That's what envy does. Envy doesn't just want us to get better. Envy wants others to fall down. I heard a story about an an envious merchant, and he was particularly envious of, of this one competitor. And one day, he was walking along the beach, and on the beach, he found a bottle, one of those genie bottles, and he picked it up. He rubbed it, and out came a genie. And the genie said, I will give you one wish, but understand, whatever I give you, I am going to give double to the person that you're most envious of. Well, this broke the guy's heart because he hated this man, his competitor, that he was more most envious of. And so he thought and he thought and he thought and then a smile came on his face and he said, I want you to make me blind in one eye. That's what envy does. Envy will eventually cause us to want the destruction of other people. That's why Socrates said, envy is the daughter of pride, the author of murder and revenge, the perpetual tormentor of virtue. Envy is the filthy slime of the soul, the venom, a poison which consumes the flesh and dries up the bone. It rots us like cancer on the inside. Euripides, the Greek philosopher, said that envy is the greatest illness in the human race. Now, here's what the Bible says. In in James chapter 3, verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, don't miss that. Where you find envy, you will also find every evil practice. Now, that's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, what the Bible is saying is when you have envy in your life, it will lead to every evil practice that you can imagine. 
In Romans chapter 1, where, where Paul is, is talking about how debased and, and how vile society had become, he says this in verse 29 and following. He says, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. All they know, um, although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of all the others who practice them. You see, envy keeps some pretty bad company, doesn't it? I mean, you read the list of sins that envy is associated with, and you go, whoa, I I didn't really think that envy was that bad, but it is. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to share with you first some truths about envy, and then second, I want to share with you how you and I can defeat envy. Now, first... Some truths about envy. And here's the first truth. Envy begins when we compare ourselves to others. That's where envy always begins. It begins when I compare myself, my, my um, possessions, my intelligence, my strength, my job, my personality, whatever it may be. When I compare myself and what I have to other people and what they have, that leads to envy. In Matthew 20, verse 15, Jesus said this. He said, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, that is the very last verse in a story that Jesus tells about workers in a vineyard. And this is the story that Jesus tells. He says that there is a landowner that owns some land and he goes out very early in the morning and he approaches some men and asks them, does he want to work? They want to work. They say, yeah. They agree on a wage that they're both happy with and the men come to work for him that day. About three hours later, the landowner goes and he hires some other people. And he does that three other times throughout the day until the very last people who are hired, they only work for a short period of time. When it comes time for the pay to be given out, the landowner pays the ones who work the least amount first. And he pays them the amount that he promised the people who had been working all day. And so as the people who had been working all day saw this, they began to think, this is great. We're going to make a whole lot more money than we originally thought. But when the landowner gave them their money, it was what they had agreed upon. And they became angry. They became mad. They became bitter. And the landowner said, wait a second, time out. Didn't you and I agree that this was a fair wage that I am paying you? And now because I have been generous with someone else... You were upset and angry. It's because you have become envious. You see, when, when they didn't know what someone else was making, they were perfectly content with what they made. But when they found out what someone else was making, what someone else was going to take to the bank, they became envious. They were envious because they were comparing what they had, what 
they were being paid to what other people were being paid. It's unfair. I worked longer. I worked harder. I deserve more. Comparing always will lead to envy. I want to give you a few more verses. Romans 12, verse 6. Let's just go ahead and and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other, trying to be something we aren't. Let's quit comparing ourselves to other people and let's just be who we are and be happy with who we are. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? I mean, if what I have is a gift from the very hand of God, why should I be so concerned about what someone else has compared to what I have? I want you to write this down. Stop comparing yourself with others because that's where envy starts. Don't do it. Because there will always be someone stronger, someone smarter, someone prettier, someone bigger, someone faster, someone richer, someone more popular than you are if you're comparing yourself to them. And that will inevitably lead to envy. And listen, when you start wishing you had someone else's talent, someone else's opportunity, someone else's possessions, you get distracted from what God has given you. You get off track. And all of a sudden you forget the talents, the opportunities, and the possessions that God has given you. And you need to stop it. So don't compare yourself. Envy begins when we compare. Second, envy consumes us from the inside out. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body. If you're at peace with who you are, what you have, I mean, it gives life to you, vitality to you. But envy rots the bones. Another translation puts it this way. Envy is a cancer in the bones. Now, don't miss that. Envy is like a cancer that eats away at us. One study revealed that the typical person needs twice as much as they have to fulfill the American dream. In other words, if I make $25,000, I believe that I need $50,000 to live out my American dream. If I make $50,000, I need $100,000 to live out the American dream. If I make $100,000, I need $200,000 to live out the American dream. That's what envy does to it. It takes us over and we're never satisfied regardless of what we have. And before long, if we don't do something about it, we will discover that envy controls us. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived. And then listen to this word, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy. Now, if it's on your note sheet, I want you to circle that word enslaved. Because envy will enslave you. Envy will control you. Once envy takes us over, people will do whatever it takes to get what they want. Solomon observed this. 
when he was, when he was making his rounds in Ecclesiastes, remember Ecclesiastes is a book where Solomon starts it off by saying emptiness, emptiness, everything is empty. He's trying to find meaning and purpose in life and, and he's living apart from God. He's living under the sun, his life away from God. And he discovers that apart from God, there is nothing in life that satisfies. And this is one of the observations he makes in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, I have also learned why people work so hard to succeed. It is because they envy the things their neighbors have. (laughs) Why do people work hard? Some people work hard because they've got a good work ethic. But a lot of people just work hard. They work their fingers to the bones because they want what their neighbors have. Bottom line. And then finally, if we don't do something about our envy, envy will destroy us. Job chapter 5 verse 2 says, resentment kills a fool. Envy slays the simple. Envy can destroy marriages, friendships, families, your health. And understand, left unchecked, envy will eventually kill us. So, how do we defeat envy? Let me give you several things. First thing you need to do is call it what it is. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and following, this is what Paul says. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, he goes through a list, and then he comes to envy. And then drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And then Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul says that envy is the result of our sinful nature. Envy is sin. But Paul goes further than that because he says that envy and those who excuse their envy and don't call it what it is will never enter the kingdom of God. So hear my heart. Envy is a big stinking deal. It will keep you out of heaven. It is in the company of sexual immorality, drunkenness, idolatry, witchcraft, fits of rage. Those things that we sit back and go, people that do those things, they don't deserve to go to heaven. Well, the Bible puts envy in that category. So don't call envy normal. Don't call envy natural. Call it what it is. It's sin. And we need to repent of it and ask God to forgive us for our envious spirit. So first of all, call envy what it is. The second thing we need to do is this. We need to celebrate the blessings of others. Romans 12 verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. If you want to overcome envy, you need to begin to celebrate the successes of others. When someone else gets something that you were hoping to get, rejoice. When someone gets the promotion that you were hoping to get, rejoice. When they live in the house that you can afford to live in, rejoice. When they win the pageant that you were competing in and you wanted to win in, rejoice. 
You do that. You begin to rejoice with those who rejoice and watch what happens. When we start celebrating the successes and the blessings of others, we will find ourselves getting more and more happy. Our whole outlook will change. And like the Duck Dynasty guys say, happy, happy, happy. It will happen when we begin to celebrate with those who are celebrating. Listen, if you only get happy when good things happen to you, you're not going to be happy very often. If you want to be a happy person, you need to learn to celebrate when other people are blessed by God. The next thing you need to learn to do is this. Learn to be content. Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Did you get that? I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, here's the definition. Contentment is being satisfied with what you have, who you are, and where you are. Now, unless you have the biggest and the best and one of everything on the planet, then there's going to come a point in time that you envy unless you learn to be content. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, contentment is something we learn. It's not something we're born with. It's a learned trait. We just look at some people and we go, man, they're just content. They weren't born that way. They struggled just like the rest of us, but they learned to practice contentment. But understand. I want you to hear something that's important. There's a big difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment is being happy enough with what you have or in any given situation. To be complacent is to say things will never change. A complacent person never tries to better themselves, never tries to improve their situation. And complacency is wrong. Contentment is right. Someone said it this way. If your neighbor's grass is always greener, maybe you need to water yours a little more. Think about it. I mean, if the blessings are flowing on someone else all the time, Maybe it's because you're not doing the things that you need to do to be blessable. Now, that's not a health and wealth theology because the Bible doesn't teach that. But it is saying that if you want God's blessings to pour out on your life, then you need to water your grass. You need to do the things in your life that puts you in a place where God can bless the things that you're doing. Finally, if we want to defeat envy, we need to crave God's word. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now notice, there's a two-step process here. First of all, we get rid of envy. That word literally means to take off, to shed, to remove it. That is a choice that we make. I decide, I determine, I'm not going to live a life of envy anymore. And then we begin to crave. Now, let me just say, we begin to 
envy the Word of God. Have you ever really had a craving, a hankering for something? Last night I was watching the Carolina ball game, if that's what it was. And, um, and as I was watching the game, I got a craving for popcorn. Not microwave popcorn. No, the popcorn that you make in the popcorn maker. You put butter in there and you put salt in there and it starts popping up. And I got a craving for that, man. I wanted some popcorn and I... I said, Sherry, I got a craving. She said, what you got a craving for? I said, popcorn. She said, some microwave popcorn? I said, oh, no. Popcorn. Kind of pops up. Would you make me some popcorn? And my sweet wife made me some popcorn. And we're not going to get into why I didn't make it. That's for another day. Another day, another story, another sermon. The point is, I had a craving. I wanted that popcorn. And man, I was going to do anything to get that popcorn. Fortunately, I didn't have to do a lot. My wife brought it to me. But man, once I got that popcorn, and I set that bowl down on my lap. It was a bowl bigger than that snake I talked about a couple weeks ago. It's a big bowl. And I just started chowing down. I craved that popcorn. And when I craved it, you know what I did? Once I had it, I consumed it. And that's what happens when we get a craving. Just like with envy. You you know what I said at the very beginning? When we become envious of something, it will lead us to that point that we will do anything we have to do to get that something that we envy That's what we need to do with the Word of God. We need to so crave the Word of God that we consume it and we get into it. And then Peter says, when we crave the Word of God, it will help us grow up in our salvation. And as we grow up, we'll discover that the things of this world, like the old song says, the things of this world, they grow strangely dim as we look into the light of His glorious face. I mean, our our whole mindset of what's important in life begins to change as we get our eyes off the world and the things of this world. We get our eyes focused on the Word of God and the one that the Word of God is about. And and the Word of God begins to consume us. And and all of a sudden, it changes us. And we begin to grow up in our salvation. And before long, we discover we're just not envying those things anymore. Ben Stiller and Jack Black are two incredibly funny guys. And back about 10 years ago, they were in a movie together that, strangely enough, was entitled Envy. And Ben Stiller and Jack Black in the movie were best friends. They were neighbors. They were co-workers. They were on equal footing. So there was no need for them to envy one another. But one day, one of Jack Black's harebrained get-rich-quick schemes paid off and he got filthy rich i'm talking about filthy rich and i want you to look at this clip that's toward the end of the movie that kind of goes into what happens watch it 
Why didn't you tell me? I should have told you. That's the thing. I just should have just told you. But I don't know what happened. I, 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 I felt guilty or, or or something. I was and I was just so wrapped up in the envy that I felt for everything you had. I mean, it's true what they say. It's like a little little green monster that comes out and and, and it just poisoned my head. I mean, and by the way, you did nothing wrong. I mean, you did nothing wrong. You just you you followed your dream. You did what you wanted to do. And I was always saying, don't do it, don't do it. And you did it, and it worked. I mean, it worked. Look, you built a house, right? That's all you did. You built a house. I mean, it's a big house. I mean, it's a really big house. It's a it's a large house. It's a it's a. I mean, it's it's gigantic, Nick. It's the White House. You built the White House across the street, and and we're in the shadow of it. I mean, literally every day, four o'clock, we're in the shadow of it. You know, and that's not your fault. I mean, you wanted to be friends still, and you didn't want to move. And I love that. I mean, that's such a you know, it's coming from such a good place. But it was just, I mean, it really was getting to me because every day I'd have to look at you and see you with all of this stuff. You know, buy the yellow Lamborghini that goes five hundred miles an hour. Have a bowling alley next to your bedroom. If I could do it, I would have done it. Everybody should have a merry-go-round. Of course, you should have a merry-go-round. Jealousy every day, and it was just chewing me up. I mean, your kids playing the concert piano, my kids banging trash cans, and I don't think that has anything to do with the money. I think that's just his musical ability, but that's a whole other thing. And you just gave to us, Nick. I mean, you gave and you gave, and you're so generous. And and and, and what am I going to give you? I gave you tube socks for Christmas last year. That's not going to work. I like the socks. You gave us so much. The coffee machine—it's beautiful, giant rocket ship-sized coffee machine. And Debbie loved the coffee. I'll tell you something. I never tasted it. Tell you that for a long time. I mean, it's that bad. I can't even tell you I haven't tried the coffee. Like it's gonna make me feel better about myself that I won't drink your coffee. And you gave our kids flan. And then all of a sudden, my son's going, Daddy, Daddy, where's the flan? I want the flan. And I just wanna. It felt like a dagger in my heart. The flan. Every time you'd request flan, and and it just made me feel little. I felt like a little man who didn't like flan. That's what I felt like, Nick. Now that's funny. But envy's not funny. I want to remind you what it says in Job 5, verse 2. Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Envy will destroy your life if you don't deal with it. And understand, just because your neighbor has something that you don't have, that doesn't put them at fault. Just because they have chosen to buy something or, or have something or live somewhere that you can't, they're not at fault. It's your fault when you begin to envy what other people have. Years ago, and God really dealt with me on this. Years ago, I was with a group of pastors and they were talking about some of these pastors who were at these huge, huge churches and talked about the amount of money that they were making. Something came out on what one of them was making and they were saying, that's wrong. They shouldn't make that much. I was going, well, why not? And, And I said, I'm sure there are people in your church that don't think you should make what you make. Should you make that much? You see, whenever I look at anyone else and what they have, what they possess, what they can do, where they live, and I begin to say, they don't deserve that. It's wrong for them to have that. I have moved into a state of envy. 
and envy slays the simple. So I've come to the point in my life that when I see people that have nice things, man, I rejoice with them. And I've gotten to the point where I don't need to buy those things, but I rejoice with them that they can have them. I mean, shoot, I, I'm the kind of person that, I mean, the shirt I got on right now, paid $11 for it at Dillard's. 65% off. Wait. But then an additional 50% off. I mean, they should have paid me, right? I mean, that's the way I was figuring it. I mean, I ended up having to pay something. I go, time out. I mean, this is 105% off or 100 whatever percent off. I'm not good at math. Now, you should give me some money here. I mean, I've gotten to the point where I'm not consumed with that. Because I'm not going to allow envy to control me. Does that mean it doesn't raise up its ugly head at times? Absolutely not. Yes, it does. But when it raises its head up, I get one of those mallets like those games, you know, at the kids' things where you, bat, you, you whack the mole. You ever played that whack-a-mole? I get that mallet and I whack the envy. Get back in your hole. You're not going to control my life. And that's what we need to do. So what do you need to do if you're dealing with envy today? Here's what you need to do. And we're wrapping this up. You need to quit excusing it. You need to quit saying it's normal, it's natural, it's just part of your competitive nature. You need to quit doing that. And you need to repent of it and confess it and get right with God. Learn to be content with what you have. Rejoice with those who are being blessed. And begin to crave the Word of God and see what happens. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. And for some of you, the, that attitude that you really struggle with is that attitude we dealt with last week. Insecurity. Man, it eats you up. And the truth of the matter is, envy and, and insecurity, they're kind of related, aren't they? Our envy feeds our insecurities. That's why I believe insecurity. Is so bad because it feeds so many other things. And so this morning, what I want you to do is just take a moment, search your heart, see if there is envy. And if there is, ask God to forgive you. Just simply ask God to forgive you and ask Him to help you to rejoice in the blessings of others. I want you to take a moment, and then I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. Father God. This toxic attitude of envy is one that every one of us, regardless of our age, regardless of our material blessings, regardless of our academic prowess or our athletic ability, 
Envy is something we all have struggled with at some point. Set us free. Give us the victory. Father, I pray that we will confess it to you today. And we will discover what it is like to live a life where we rejoice with those who rejoice. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who can set us free through the power of your spirit.